All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. I am Scott. I'm Ollie, and this is Science in Between. It is. Scott, you know what happened to me the other day was I was uh, on Facebook, you know, just scrolling, looking at people's things, and I got like a memory, and Mm. one of those memories, and the event was us posting the first three episodes of Science in Between uh, two years ago. Yeah, Look so at two that. years ago, That's around awesome. this time, we were we had dropped like three or four episodes all in a row, just to kind of like, you know, have a a backlog of you know yep. back catalog. I think is the back word catalog. Word. Yeah, back catalog of uh, you know, a few episodes in the in the can, and yeah, so that came up on my memory. So here we are. That's this awesome. is. A- episode what five of season three? Yes, indeed. Wow. Yeah. Look at and, us. Uh, yeah, I, well, I was doing some professional development yesterday, and uh, they were tweeting out some pictures, and they're like, "Oh, do you have a Twitter?" And I said, "Yeah, but really, the only thing on it is the tweeting out of the episodes of my podcast. Like, I literally don't think I have anything else in there for the last three years, except yeah. like episode one hundred four, episode one hundred five, episode one hundred six. So, just to remind people that this thing still exists. Yeah." Yeah. And then you and then you retweet it because you've got real followers. You got lots of followers. I, I, and the, I have some, sure. Yeah. So then, then it then that's when the tweet matters. When I tweet it, it's like the, <laughs> you and the three other people are like, "Oh, look, another podcast episode." My gigantic Twitter followers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're gigantic. Yeah. So what are you talking about today, Scott? So what, what are is... yeah? So what we're going to talk about? What we're going to try and talk about? I think is what we're really saying is. This idea of science literacy. So there was a there is a long history to science and scientific literacy um, going back to the Project 2061, at least, which was the AAAS in the 80s doing this this big push towards scientific literacy. Is that um, the science for all American stuff? Is that what that? Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, and that the was big book of science knowledge, right? Yes, that's, what it was that's like. right. It had, this uh, is the stuff concept that... maps, right? Yeah, it was, uh, it was the thing, right? So, um, so it was quite a thing, uh, in the day and, um, was meant to sort of chart the course for science education. And, and in many respects, I think sort of set up standards that followed it because closely on the heels were the national science education standards. And then we started getting, like the idea that we might try and get standards in science at a national level, um, which is how we got to the NGSS. So, um, but I think what we're trying to do is take a step back. Um, one of the interesting things that triggered this a little for me was um, the state of Pennsylvania just changed the certification guidelines. And one of the things they added to it was structured literacy um, right. for all grade levels. Which so has just, created some, you know, yeah. big conversations and debates. And I'm saying yeah. that nicely. Yes. That's, that's the nicest way of yeah. saying. Yeah. 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 Especially in the, in the reading world. I mean, I think in the science world, it's, it's a little less of a thing to talk about, but, and I think generally speaking, scientific literacy uh, is not as much in the center of science education as it used to be. I mean, people still refer to it, but I think it's sort of on the edges. So um, I mean, do you want to start with like what your thoughts are about what, what it is and what your, your sense of it is or your history with it? Well, I, I think that for me, I, I, I look at it from, I mean, globally, like, you know, how n- not just in science, but in other fields as well, that, you know, the, the, if we have this big book of what, you know, what it means to be literate, right. Um, 
that book just keeps expanding and growing and it's just, and it's growing uh, exponentially, right? The, the amount of information we know in, in science and is just continues to grow, but that's all areas, right? right? And so what it means to be literate is, is changing because there's no way that we can know everything, right? Yeah. Yep. So I, I, I'm going to make the, the comparison to, to the, the, the technology standards. So I think this is this is a really good. Um, I mean, it's going to seem like an aside, but it's actually really very connected. So if you look back at the history of the science standards for teachers and for students, and if you go back to like the early '90s, the standards were like a you know a, a list of things like technologies, specific technologies that people should have some experience and knowledge with that they should know how to make a spreadsheet that they should know how to you know make a document in word and do all and it was very like specific in terms of like specific skills applied to specific technologies and and it was almost like a laundry list of things if you were to look at the the, the newest standards in for technology sd standards the, this is the international society for technology and education if you were to look at those things now mm. um those it's it's devoid of specific technologies it's all about you know habits it's all about you know actions it's all about like taking on um actions and ways of being and and so it's it's less about the 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 technology and less about the information and more about what we can do with the information and I, I think that transition isn't just happening in technology. It's happening. So what it means to be literate isn't just about like knowing stuff hmm. because the knowing stuff is going to continue to change and grow and expand. And maybe I've taken us down, you know, a, yeah. you know, a, a path that you didn't intend when you proposed the topic. But when I think of literacy, like we're to, you know, pull a science educator from 1992, right? You know, the people who were like big in this science for our, you know, all Americans, there was a book and there was like, Hey, these are the things we should be teaching. These are the things, yeah. you know, but now it's like, it, it is based about, you know, building, you know, looking at evidence, building explanations. So it's more about the habits and the processes mm -hmm. and practices. Practices. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think uh, one of the shifts that it, that it um, is founded on, one of those shifts away from like listing, because listing things as the way to think about science, right? Science is a body of knowledge. Um, and you see that certainly in, so that, so the AAAS had the uh, science for all Americans and then the benchmarks for scientific literacy. That was the right. benchmark maps were the big, that's the giant books that you're talking about. Right. So that, that were these concept maps in these spiral bound notebooks that covered every topic, including societal topics and process. And topics. I had to buy one of those when I oh, was yeah. in my science education classes for in sure. 1991, 1992, I had to buy a copy of those yep. and, and, not committed to memory, but at least to be able to use that to, you know, uh, plan curriculum and plan units. And, you know, it was based on that. It was based right. on how am I, you know, addressing or how am I connecting to and meeting the specific and which ones am I meeting and how much of it am I meeting? It was, right. yeah. 
Yeah. And I, and I think um, the shift has been like from those concept maps and, and thinking about science as content to this notion of science as practice, like that has, that's all under underlaid by changes in the way that we understand learning, right? Like this is the cognitive to sociocultural shift that we talk about a lot. Right. Um, and, and that shift, one of, one of its biggest impacts was to move the attention away from the product and towards the process. And I think there's lots of other things that happened there. I mean, you mentioned this idea that, um, you know, the internet came along and we got access to a lot more information and information was changing fast. Um, so like thinking about work, these are the canonical things that you must know, got a little, you know, trickier to Marty. argue for. Yeah. Uh, but, but the process of science, um, is the practices. Even, yeah. The practices are, are, you know, on some level unchanging, but we, the thing we've gotten better about, I think, in science education is articulating what that looks like. Because if you look back at, um, you know, benchmarks or the national science education standards, it it was just a little past the here's the scientific mem method and memorize it and remember it. Like there was a lot of like, oh, there should be inquiry, but the inquiry was pretty teacher driven for the most part. It was things like, you know, like predict, observe, explain, or discrepant event things where it was about conceptual change things. Uh, uh, so it was, it was a different notion and the practices are substantively different, even though they probably to some external folks feel very similar. So I, I wonder whether if, you know, they, this project 2061, you know, when, when we were, it, when it was 1991, right. When it was like, was that when it came out? It was in the nineties. Really. Um, I think it was actually in the eighties. Yeah. Maybe um, it was, maybe, yeah, maybe you, it was, you keep talking, I'll figure that out for us. While yeah. So when that was, when that came out, they were like really, you know, predicting long-term, right. What, what right. folks were going to should know. Right. And this was, you know, to set the stage for, you know, what was going to happen in, you know, 2061, which where mm -hmm. it sounds so far away, it sounded so far away, but you know, we're getting close every day. Um, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> that's the way nice. time works, yeah. you know, but um, I, I wonder whether if we were to form a group today and, you know, triple AS and other folks were to gather together and say, okay, what does it take? What's the information that's required for people to be scientifically literate today? Mm -hmm. like how how different that document would look what are the things that would be in there that are weren't in there before you know yeah. certainly there are things that didn't maybe didn't exist you know right. because our you know knowledge of of things have changed but i wonder whether the importance of things have changed like i wonder like yeah. you know i mean certainly immunology is you know is a, <laughs> a lot more in <laughs> people's minds maybe um and I, I, and I don't have it memorized. So I don't know. It might already be in there to some degree. Um, right. But I just wonder how much different it is. And, and that, I guess the big, big question for us today is what is it? What does it mean to be scientifically literate mm -hmm. in today's society? Is it, is it about the practices? Because I don't think that we can just talk practice without embedding it in some sort of knowledge base right like there has to be some sort of basic knowledge that students have to possess in order to to be able to do the practices you know mm -hmm. well and to do it effectively right 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so just quick trivia, 1993, that was when benchmarks. Oh, I was pretty close. Uh, I said, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually then was after the national science education standards. So that's interesting. I I think I had that backwards in my head. I did too. I think they were 89 were the national science education standards. Then I must've had to buy them for, cause I was teaching by 1993. So I must've had to buy them or I was given them in my first few years year. of teaching. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I think, you know, so interestingly, while I've been digging here, so the PISA framework has scientific literacy and we've talked about PISA before that's an international test of science education, um, a comparative test and they they and the United States National Center for Educational Statistics both have definitions that are relatively contemporary of what science literacy is. And I think it is interesting. So it's only like a sentence here. So I'm going to read it, or two sentences. The ability to engage with science-related issues and with the ideas of science as a reflective citizen, a scientifically literate person, therefore, is willing to engage in reasoned discourse about science and technology which requires the competencies to, and then explain ph- phenomena scientifically, evaluate and design scientific inquiry, and interpret data and evidence scientifically. So, oh, wow. as we said, lot of lot. It's basically about practices. There's right. it, it doesn't say anything there about they need to know Newton's three laws or core even suggesting core ideas in science. It's just, it really is about scientifically literate pra- people understand the practices of science, and I think that's. That's certainly the way that we think about it, but I think it's it's um, not necessarily the way that we teach science. So, do, do you mind if I go off on another aside? Because this is please so, so unusual um, for this show for I know one of us to go off on an aside. So I'm uh, I'm on a task force on our campus Ooh. that is re- uh, redesigning our general ed- education curriculum. Hmm. So this is a huge undertaking. And it happens, you know, on, on, if you're not in a collegiate environment, this, this doesn't happen often. It happens like every 15, 20 years or more. Right. right. And so the last time ours happened was right before I came, which is about like 20 years ago. And so we're in the, in the midst of refreshing, re, uh, you know, checking this out and, and trying to make, cause you know, 20 years is a long time to have a general education curriculum because the world changes. Right. Yeah. Um, what, what does it count to be, you know, general education? Um, and so we're before it was like around domains, like, you know, um, arts and humanities, science and technology, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and social sciences and, and so, and that's very like almost cafeteria style. Oh, yeah, it takes one thing from column A, one thing right. from column B. And so now like one of the things is a, 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 at a liberal arts institution like, like ours is, um, is around, you know, integrated things, like trying to get things to, to be connected across disciplines, interdisciplinary concepts. And so we are looking at different literacies, right? And so that yep. was, it was a, a, a real conversation around like someone proposed that we have an integrated literacy, you know, requirement as a gen ed requirement and just the number of literacies that are out there that are counted <laughs> as a literacy, right. Yeah. Is mammoth. It is mammoth. And, and there's like the big book of literacy, right? It's <laughs> not because like you think about science yeah. literacy and you think about literacy literacy, like, okay, someone's literate, they can read, they can write. Mm-hmm. But then when you start to think about like computational literacy, right? right? Like being able to like understand how, you know, computational things work, media literacy, you know, information yeah. literacy, crit- like, like there's just so much. 
Mm-hmm. And it just is pretty expansive. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think in many respects, that's a function of this, also this shift in, um, in learning theory as it cuts across domains, right? Is that, is that all, all domains started to think about their domain, not as a body of knowledge, but as an, you know, set of epistemic practices that were used to produce that knowledge. And so, so that is another way of framing literacy in in our contemporary thinking about it, which is that literacy is about the, you know, the processes for producing the knowledge, not for, for knowing the knowledge itself. And I think reading probably was way ahead on that in that they, you know, where literacy came from, like they think about literacy all the time and have for, you know, the history of their domain. So I'm sure, you know, things like multimedia literacy and these ideas right. of like processes and multiliteracy, and I'm, I'm sure I don't have any of the, the actual terminology that they use, but this idea that literacy is, you know, it used to be reading and writing and now, you know, there's video and audio production and there's all these other kinds of right. ways that literacy gets expressed. Well, and, and, you know, while we've moved away from having the big book, right, we have taken this, you know, the knowledge base of being able to be a literate citizen in the world and sort of divided that up into these subdivisions that are really deep and rich. Mm-hmm. And in order to be like, I mean, to be media literate, is, you know, an effort, you know, you have to, you know, and I think that when you talk to people, you, you get a sense of whether they're, they are or not. Right. right. Um, but I mean, some of that is a skill set that requires training and s- schools and colleges of education are, you know, not colleges of education, just colleges and places yeah, yeah. of education, mm-hmm. you know, are, are places where that happens. And so I know I'm expanding this, this, picture broader than scientific literacy but that i think that the the problem is that the literacies are the numbers of literacies the identified literacies are are growing while the actual subset of what counts in there we're like going okay yeah there's lots of information let's just focus on practice but those practices are expanding yeah right for sure and and yeah, I mean that's that's the nature of uh, the human endeavor, right? I mean, is that that things are always changing, and and uh, the way that we practice, the culture of our practice is changing, right? Um, and yeah, my daughter and I were talking about this the other day, just in the sense of there's this generational thing of we say, oh, you know, back in my day, like we didn't sit on yeah. our phones all day. And then my parents said, oh, you know, back in my day, we didn't sit in front of the television all day, and you know. And my daughter was saying, well, when, when I have kids, I'm, I'm going to really be careful and thoughtful about how much I expose them to screens and how often they're on screens. And I said, well, maybe by the time you have kids, that's not even going to be a thing. Like there's yeah. going to be some new challenge that your paradigm is based on screens, but, um, but that's not going to be the paradigm in 20 years, you know, when you have kids or however many years, you know, 10, 15 years. So um, it, 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 you can't, you can't predict that, but what you can predict is that, that there's that sort of shift in culture over time that, that you just have to deal with as a, as you move through your life. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that, and that if I'm off base with this, you know, correct me, I think one of the things that I remember being part of the, the science for all Americans was, was the interplay between science, technology, and society. Yeah. And, and that interplay was something that was like a huge conversation and I think that that 
I, I remember that I, that being a huge discussion at the time, but it seems to have not be as central, even though that the actual play of that, the actual importance of that is, is larger than it's ever been. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I think that it's, it's not a central part of the conversation. However, it's a central part of the impact of how science and society and technology are impacting so much of the world, right? And so yeah. much of education and so much of politics and everything, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, Penn State used to have, when I first came in 2004, they had a really robust program in science, technology, and society. Yep. Like it was a big deal. Like they had nationally known people here who did really interesting work about the intersection of science and and society and and had really interesting courses about you know, that would have been, you know, we're science, about science literacy courses. And, and that has atrophied down, I think there, because I had a, a former faculty member from that program come into my office to talk about restarting one of their intro courses, because it's disappeared. And, and they thought it would be good to have this kind of thing. Like, do you understand what genetic engineering is? Do you know, do you know what, you know, genetically enger- engineered foods are? Do you know what, you know, vaccines are and how they work? And, you know, these kinds of, um, socially uh, important issues in science, like we don't really have a class for that uh, anymore at Penn State, which I think is fascinating because as you say, it seems like it's even more relevant now than it was when I arrived in 2004. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But I I also wonder a little whether it's a, it's an American thing. American. American. Because I think in, in, in other countries, I'll talk about Europe, that, you know, not a country, but, you know, but uh, countries in <laughs> Europe um, where I did, I caught it myself um, that, that there is a, a, I don't know, a bigger focus of the impact society, uh, science has on society. Specifically, I think about like genetically engineered foods and how big of a conversation that is in, in that neck of the world than it is here. Like, I don't think people really i mean there are subsets of our society that talk about that that, that that's a, something that's important however it is like a central part of the conversation there uh you know you go and shop and they say these are not genetically modified these are not like and so it's that the interplay between science and society maybe just from a biological standpoint is central to that conversation there. Um, Not so much here. I don't know why that is, but it is something that um, it is interesting. And, and it is something that's interesting to me that the, you know, that STS stuff, which we, you know, that was an acronym, right? That was the acronym STS um, science technology society was, you know, a a central part of the literacy conversation then and not now. And I don't know why. Yeah, I don't either, but I do think like I was fascinated with this um with this idea of of a course like that and uh and we'll see. I mean, I think it it didn't wasn't originally housed in the College of Education, but that that it could be housed in the College of Education some sort of course about science literacy and and how do we think about that and how do we prepare people to go out into the world and just be citizens even if they don't even if they don't study science after, you know, their three gen eds that are required for their undergrad. Um you know how do we how do we help prepare them for the world in which they operate and have to make decisions um so i think that's really the fundamental of what scientific literacy is about is is really about 
literate citizens, right? It's not it it's not so much a goal of education in the in the standard sort of way, but in but in a big picture, like how do we prepare people to you know, leave high school and, and, you know, we don't know if they're going to college or not. Right. So how do we prepare them to leave high school prepared to engage in the, in the debates that our society is having about some of these core issues um, in a way that isn't, uh, isn't influenced by people who are making non-evidence-based arguments who are just, you know, appealing to the, the lowest common denominator of human nature and trying to, to, like, Fear, yeah, fear and hatred of other people as a way to think about how how to make decisions, and so I think, yeah, how do we how do we think about that? Because it because I think, like you say, uh, and like we're both saying, it, this is a critically important time for us to have that. Like we we really are at a tipping point here. It feels like where we could, um, if we if we don't have more people that are willing to look at the world that way, that we are going to be in our country is going to be in serious trouble. Uh, not just our country. True, right? The whole world. Well, it's happening everywhere right now. Which, you know, that's the astonishing thing. I mean, right? Um, if you want to talk about it, one of the downsides of the internet and and the combination of how quickly that has arisen, um, in contrast to how quickly we've been able to deal with the literacies around that thing. You know, we talk about media literacy and social media literacy and, and information literacy, like these things that didn't really exist. 20 years ago, or maybe even 15 years ago, right? Trying to think about those now have become like some of the most critical skills that students and humans need, right? Is how do you decide yeah. if the information that you're getting is something you should listen to, or is just some crackpot in their basement uh, doing a podcast? That's not this. <laughs> not us. We're not we're crackpots. Not, we're not in, and we're not in the basement, in fairness. No, neither of us no. are in a basement. And no, I'm on like the so fourth far. floor of a building right now. So yeah. Yeah. the opposite of a it's basement. the opposite of the basement. <laughs> <laughs> I I will say, like, since you and I have been like engaged in in this, you know, internet stuff for, for a, a while, as not just as people who use the internet, but people who think about the internet and think about the the role that that plays in our society. These are conversations you and I had for 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, and whenever it started to really expand in this, you know, web 2.0 technology where like people could be authors, like anybody could yeah. really author content and 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 be content creators. Um we, you and I, I can remember multiple conversations you have had I've had going back decades about the democratizing force that that would have in our world and how that was going to free uh, information so that people would have greater access to information. And we also talked about right. the, the wisdom of crowds, right? Remember mm -hmm. that we would have yeah. this, this conversation about the wisdom of crowds and how, you know, I think the, the story that, and I'm surprised we've made it through two and a half years of episodes without us actually talking about the wisdom of crowds and, and how, you know, yeah. It, with the, with the cow story, right? That's a that's a the famous wisdom of crowd story, right? Um, where they you know had you know just picked people from an audience and had them predict what the weight of a cow was, and while the uh, the folks had very little knowledge of you know cows or you know what a cow would weigh, the and the individual predictions were all over the place. You know the mean was pretty close to what. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 the cow actually weighed. And, and so we had this promise that the internets, the crowd and the democratizing forces of crowds and would help, you know, 
right. and would be a powerful force for good. And I think we were so naive. Yeah. We were so naive to think that that was how it was going to, that, that it was going to be, you know, it was going to lead to something very different than where we are. That, right. Well, like, I think, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I, I probably said way too much. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I mean, I think the thing we fundamentally didn't understand or didn't grok about that wisdom of crowds notion is what they were saying is if you get a lot of people's opinions, the, the mean or the median will tell you something about the problem you're trying to solve. Right. But, but the internet didn't do that at all. In fact, quite the opposite. What it did is created a bimodal distribution where you have lots of people in of one kind of view and lots of people of the other kind of view who don't actually even talk to each other. So there is no median. There is no, there's no mean, there's nothing in between. Like we've broken the country into two chunks who talk to each other. And then maybe the mean and there is tells you something about those two groups of people, but we've lost the, we've actually lost the wisdom of the crowd because we no longer are, are blending all of those ideas into one big mess that then we can try and find the best ideas out of the middle. Like what we're doing is like picking from the extreme ends of the spectrum to try and figure out what, what those points of view are. And that, Turns out that's not very productive because that means about half of the people are are going to disagree with it. Not to mention you've got the people in your own distribution that are going to disagree with it for one reason or another. So it makes makes it very hard to get anything done. So the wisdom of crowds, um, yeah, it was James Surowiecki. I do not know how to pronounce that name, but he's the one who who wrote the famous book, The Wisdom of Crowds. Um, but yeah. I'm not knocking you for not being able to pronounce his name. Thank you. That's, I appreciate that. That's my yeah. job to do to you. So, yeah. 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 We have our roles. They're well-defined. Right. <laughs> we we stay in our lanes. We know what's yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> it was an impressive effort. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, I uh, noticed that we now have, we have like Shaking Fist at Cloud and big books of stuff. So we're, we're starting, we're really shading into sort of like <laughs> biblical prophets here. Right. <laughs> like yeah. We have a big uh, book and we shake our fist at the cloud and, you know, I don't know if that makes us Job or Noah. Well, I don't know which one of those guys. As I was thinking, as I was listening to you talk about um, the bimodal distribution, hmm. I was thinking about like, how did that happen? Like, how do we get there? And then, you know, my, I like, you know, I like heroes and villains in the world. So, yeah. like, what's the, what's the villain? And I don't know if we're the villain. I think that I, my first, you know stab at you know identifying a villain would be algorithms it's certainly a right. contributing factor right but then where does the algorithm why do we need the algorithm well i think the algorithm is based on getting people to stay getting people to participate getting people to which is you know an economic thing right yeah. it is like you want people to come to your site your facebook isn't just about like getting people to participate it's getting people to participate a lot so that yeah. they can sell ads and so if you're going to come back not because you're fighting with somebody but because you're finding a community and so the algorithm's designed so that you find the people in your end of that distribution rather than you know and so it's not a a economy of information it's not a source of free-flowing ideas like we thought it would be right, right. we we thought yeah. that it would just it was gamed it was gamed and and so the yeah or or it just like like on some level this is the nature of of 
the way things work in in society in capitalist societies that are driven by that metric right sure. which is like if our job is to make money then then my my website twitter you know is no longer about like helping people communicate with their friends about cool things that happen to them in their life. It's now about how do I get enough eyeballs on this ad that I can sell it? Um, and that changes the dynamic, right? That's how you, you know, that's how you get Twitter suing Elon Musk because he doesn't want to buy the platform because he probably saw the financials and was like, wow, yeah. you gotta be kidding me. I'm going to get, take a bath on this thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, cause you know, I, my friend Cole and I taught, a. um, a course here about disruptive technologies way back in the day. And we used Twitter as a platform and it was incredibly powerful as an educational yeah. tool. And now here I am, I don't know, 10, 12 years later, I like the only thing I tweet out is these episodes and my social media presence. I, I almost don't exist. Like you can't find yeah. stuff about me. I'm not on Facebook. I'm r rarely on Twitter. I, I consume when, I, in a few when you, when you like something on a Facebook post of mine, I'm like, who's this guy? Who no, like couldn't be on a talk? Facebook post. <laughs> maybe Instagram. I, no, You're thinking Instagram. Maybe Instagram. That's right. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Because like every once in a while, I'll just get this like, you know, hey. this like from Scott McDonald. Yeah. I'm like, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Instagram. We're friends that's in, it. In the real world, yeah, you know? <laughs> we're friends in the real world. So sometimes I like your stuff by just telling you, "Hey, Ali, I like your stuff." <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, I read but, that post. Yeah. Uh, but um, no, I mean, I think, but for me, that that is an indicator. Like you know, like you, I think I grew up um, in a time when you know the heady times of technology, where I was I was at the beginning of the computer age when I was in middle school. So I got to play with those computers and upper L in middle school and then into high school, I really became sort of a nerd and I've all, always been a technology person, mm -hmm. but, but yeah. I had, you know, in the last 10 years or so, I've shifted a lot away from that. And I use very little of that social media because I, even what other people wouldn't consider social media. So things like, you know, reading the news or whatever, because even that is gamed, right? Like when you, if, if you read something like Apple news, every time you read something, it gives you more of that stuff to read over time. And, you know, it's like, that's like the idea that the best way to create literate people is to give them more of the same stuff as opposed right. to like, why aren't we building algorithms that every time you read a, a story that's crazy in one direction, you don't get an exact opposite point of view. I mean, we know why, because you're not going to click and read it, but yeah. you know, like, can you give, instead of giving more extreme, can you give less extreme? Can you say, Oh, here's, here's a more moderate version of what you were just reading. Maybe that will help you think about your own position in a slightly different way, but no, it's like, well, we're going to, you know, head you off into um, one end of the spectrum or the other. And you're like, Holy cow, come on, man. This is really devolved. Into, yeah. Well, I, I, I blame me. I blame me. No, I mean, but, but I think in fairness, it, it, it is what we're talking about, which is the sure. sense that like, if people were scientifically literate and evidence-based, we wouldn't be having, I don't think the same level of problem that we're having with so many of these areas where people can just say whatever they want and people nod their head because of who that person is, not because that they have, it's not about the power of their ideas. It's not about the power of their evidence. It's about the power of their personality and their influencer status in the world. Right. And I do think that is fundamentally about scientific literacy or at least. Yeah, Cause like you and I being off in this like corner of the podcasting world, talking about scientific ideas and, and talking about evidence and claims and, and reasoning and all that. 
it, it's it, it's not it doesn't have a dent in the larger conversation in the world. But then like a person like Joe Rogan, who has like millions yeah. of followers and has this big personality, can bring on like some, I don't know, somebody who's far outside of the mainstream of any any science or any medicine or anything bring them on and give him a give them a forum to be able to share their you know crack pottery right yeah yeah well and then you got you know people who just flat out share the crack pottery themselves like you know dr oz types who you know have their own platform and and they literally are a shill for these sorts of crack pottery, you know, like, Oh, this is, this is the magic coffee bean. That's going to transform your health into whatever. it's like, God, but, but again, it's like, if we look at the areas in society where these things are most prevalent, it is very often in areas that are, that at least have the potential to be influenced by science. Like human health is a, is a scientific area of understanding, right? So understanding how your body works and what makes you healthy and what makes you sick and how to decide if, if, you know, the newest study about blueberries and cancer and how much it reduces your rate of prostate cancer, like let's read that with some sense of how does that fit into some larger picture of the way that we think about human health? Um, but that's not the way it gets produced. It's like, Oh, new study says you should eat a quart of blueberries every day. If you want to cure yourself of cancer in the future, it's like, that is like insane. Yeah. I like, I like blueberries, but there's a lot of blueberries, but they're not, and they're not going to cure cancer. turns out they're probably. Remember I got like, what was it? Maybe like, five, 10 episodes ago, I, I, I talked about my journey to try to figure out the best breakfast to eat or like something, <laughs> right. you know, like, should I eat? And it was, it was pretty binary. It wasn't like just a, you know, far reaching, should I eat like anything? It was like, okay, what's a better breakfast? Should I have oatmeal or should I have like an egg white omelet? It was yeah. that sort of thing. It was like really that binary. Cause yeah. I was like, I like oatmeal and I like egg white omelets. So what should I choose? Yeah. So you know what I came up with? Do? One every other day. It's like, I have no idea. Cause I yeah. found equally, you know, conflicting information and supportive <laughs> information for both. And I was like, and I was going to like, you know, all sorts of health places, like, yeah. like legitimate peer reviewed things. It's just that the information is just conflicting. And well, so, it's, but it's conflicting. And I think, again, this goes back to the scientific literacy thing. It, it is conflicting because it turns out the human body is a very complicated system right. and there aren't simple answers to what makes you healthy and unhealthy. Right. Yeah. And there, it's like, there aren't even that's really simple answers. Right. It was like, well, what, what am I most interested in? Am I worried about my blood pressure or right. am I worried about heart disease? Am I worried about like, what is it I'm worried about? Like, but, am I worried about having a shiny coat? <laughs> yeah. You, which you should be. I should, you know. <laughs> I mean, I do think you have uh, luxuriant hair. Well, thank you. So, thank you, you know, so maybe you are eating the right <laughs> diet for your shiny coat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a thing that we don't, like we... <laughs> We simply don't understand that much about the way the human body works as much as we understand a lot more than when they were putting leeches on us to to try and get the bad humors out of our body. I mean, we've improved a lot, but, you know, we're still doing things um, that I'm sure in 20 years are going to look, you know, not very, you know, yeah, they did that. 
Yeah. yeah. Like they actually cut people open. That's the thing I, I still can't get past. Like somehow surgery just seems like such a weird way to deal with problems. So I understand why they do it, but it's like, wow. I think it's, it's the truck trekkie in you is as you, maybe, you see. Maybe like you just, woo, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then with the voila. tricorder or something and then yeah. you're healed up. Yeah. But um, anyway, scientific I'm impressed literacy. that she just dropped some tricorder in that conversation. Yeah. Well, come yeah. on. I don't actually think the tricorder does that thing. Though. I, I think doesn't, the tri- but it, it detects stuff. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I think the tricorder is a communication device. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what's the, what was the thing that there was another device that they used for like scanning stuff? I don't know. Okay. It's it's a long time since I've watched a a Star Trek episode. Yeah. All right. But I think that's a good transition because now we can talk about what we have been doing that may not be Star Trek episodes, but that are bringing us joy. Yeah. Yes. 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 Am I going first this time? Why don't you go ahead? All right. So the thing that's been bringing me joy lately is a YouTube series. And I'm not really a big YouTube person either, going back to earlier point about. But but I have been getting into YouTube lately, at least with this one, um, with this one channel. So there's a guy named Van Neistat, and he does a channel called The Spirited Man. And he was part of the Neistat brothers um, who had an HBO show quite a while ago, maybe 10 years ago, um, maybe more. And uh, he, his brother, Casey, who's the younger brother, is the more famous of the two. Casey is sort of the one of the original vloggers on YouTube. So he he is, you know, like super wealthy, fancy um you know, YouTuber star. Um, but his younger, his older brother, Van, um, you know, who, who uh, built, built that show with him and did a lot of other really interesting sort of art and um, design work as a younger guy um, now has this show. And it's sort of this mix of like art and tinkering. Um, and he's, he's sort of obsessive about the way he organizes things and labels things. And it's, um, it's just fascinating stuff. It's right in my wheelhouse. It's probably not in everybody's wheelhouse, but he sort of is at right at the intersection of the things that I think about. Um, he's not really a science person per se, but I do have a sort of tinkerer in me, and I certainly have a little bit of art and design in me, um, and then I have a little bit of philosopher in me, and he's got all that. And uh, so I, I find you're a his... Renaissance man. What yes, indeed. Are... It's so true. I say that to myself every morning when I wake up. <laughs> Look at you, you beautiful Renaissance man, you. (laughs) Leonardo da Vinci has nothing on you. I'm going to go sculpt something for breakfast. Um, Probably out of oatmeal. Either eggs or oatmeal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So anyway, Van Nystad, I I recommend it if if you like, uh, you know, unusual... I mean, he's a video producer. He's been a, he and Casey started out making movies. That's what they did. They would travel around the world and do movie stuff. And that's how HBO picked him up. So he, he knows something about video production. So he does sort of interesting and cool things, but the topics are pretty wide ranging and maybe you'll find an entry point or maybe you won't, but it's bringing me a lot of joy. Yeah. I don't watch a lot of YouTube, YouTube. Like I, my son spends a lot of time on YouTube. He follows, you know, but I don't, really watch much yep. i go there more for if i'm looking for something specific like yeah that's what uh, i hey. typically used it for yeah so i've i've really never followed anything on on youtube uh like any content provider or anything so yeah. Yeah, that's interesting yeah. um my joy is house 
of Dragon. Oh boy, look at you being well, just a I, mainstream I, guy, loving well, the I, thing that everybody loves. I I will say I I was a Game of Thrones person. It was mm. like one of those things where it was like required viewing in our house. Like when it would come out, and we didn't start at the beginning. Like we didn't start with the beginning. I think we jumped in maybe season two, and then started watching from there on. And for a while, the the Game of Thrones was like you know, Sunday night viewing. It came on Sunday night and we planned for it Sunday night. And we really don't have TV watching in our lives like that much anymore. Like we watch almost everything on demand. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't, and we have HBO Max, which lets us stream things. But we are building it in that Sunday night when it drops at nine o'clock, we are watching it. And so it's, we're like, you know, four, five, six episodes in at this point. And it is, you know, almost like that it is you know required watching it is you know you watch it when it comes out and because i i don't want things to be spoiled and there's been it's been very it's been a long time since i've watched television like that Mm -hmm. and it's 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 nice because there is this you know kind of conversation that happens where it's like you know did you see what happened last night on this and it's like and it's one of those it's always been part of the public discourse where something happens on you know, Game of Thrones or now House of Dragons that just pushes the envelope a little bit because it's so far removed from like our everyday life. And sometimes where the the way they, you know, position people or the way they, you know, interact with one another um, inserts itself into a larger conversation. And I think yeah. that's always kind of cool to see. Um, so, yeah, I am, you know... <laughs> I mean, this is out right now. And then there's the Tolkien series out right now, which, you know, that these were like almost released side by side. And, and the question was, which one was going to, you know, um, you know, get into the public discourse. And it looks like the house of dragons is the one that's winning out at least right now. Um, we'll see where it goes. They definitely have a leg up. I mean, that one of the people who was at the PD yesterday that I was doing was saying he, we, I asked at the beginning, what their favorite streaming show was. And he said this one, but he said he's got a whole ritual now where he watches the previous episode in the hour before the new episode drops. Uh, and then he watches the new episode. And then as soon as the new episode is over, he gets online and starts re- watching videos about analysis of the show and breaking sure. it all down and all that stuff. So just like, um, you know, the, its predecessor there, this is becoming like, like you say, it's a cultural phenomenon. And so people are really dissecting it and analyzing it. Yeah. And there's like an industry around it where like, right. it's like there are podcasts that you can listen to and things you can oh, read yeah. online. And, and so it's, now I don't do all of that. Usually what I'll do is um, on, streaming on HBO max. There's like a little, you know, five minute episode after where you get to talk, listen to the directors and, and some of the actors and they unpack the, the, the episode a little bit, but it's like short, it's like five minutes yeah. Yeah. and they just give you some highlights of them. Some of the things they're thinking about and some of the things that resonated with them, which is cool. We, we stick around and watch that, but you know, I'm not listening to podcasts or anything, at least not yeah. yet. Yeah. You know? You're not listening to podcasts. What a bad idea. Listening to podcasts. No, I'm not about that. Like I'm listening to it's podcasts, okay. but not about that, you know? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, so that's a new quote on our, our website is Ali Dran says, who listens to podcasts anymore? <laughs> I did not say that. You're, yeah. you're misquoting me. <laughs> it's the internet, man. Saying, as long as people re- retreat, retweet it, it'll be true. So I'll just. Yeah, you know. that's, that's all you need to do. Just yeah. use your Twitter yeah. followers. My power. My, your my power. four Twitter followers. Yeah, yeah. your four people. Yeah. 
They're four. I, they're all, they all live in my house, so I can just go by and ask them. <laughs> hey, I follow I you. Mean, well, except for you. Uh, You're the only one should I move in? Move I mean, in the basement? We, we got an extra bedroom, so, you all know. Right. Oh, yeah. if you if you live in the basement, then you become that guy that lives in the yeah. basement, does the podcast in the basement. We don't want that. Oh, uh, the show, the show will go under. Wow, this has covered lots of territory today. Yeah, boy, howdy. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, on we'll that catch note, you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.